This is a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. And right now we are on the line with Anna Marbrook. One second. Kira, Anna, how are you today? Oh, kia ora, I'm good, thanks. Great to be with you this afternoon. Now, Anna, um, just for the people at home, um, give us a quick description about you and the film Loli... How do I pronounce it? Is it Loimata, the sweet Loimata, student? yeah, that's correct. Awesome. Yeah. So Loimata is uh, premiering this year in the New Zealand International Film Festival, which is kind of uh, post-COVID yeah. or in the midst of COVID as a hybrid festival. So there's um, screenings across the country of some of the films, and there's also mm. an online at-home offer as part of the festival. And the film that I directed and co-produced with my brothers called Loimata, The Sweetest Tears. Yeah. It's a, um, an inspirational journey by an extraordinary woman called Emma Lilo Siope. And mm. she takes her family on what is ostensibly her final voyage um, to heal them. Yeah. And she is a, a, a waka builder. She's also uh, a captain and has captained these kind of beautiful, massive, ocean-going waka across the Pacific Ocean. And in her final months, she decides to take her family on, I guess, what is in many ways a kind of reverse migration story Mm. through their history as um, Samoans who migrated here, their parents migrated here in the 1950s to 60s. And she takes them back through their history and through their past on a pathway to healing. Mm. And I'm curious, how did you end up discovering um, Lilo, M- is it Emma Lilo or is it Lilo Emma Siope? Lilo Emma Siope, yeah. Lilo's her Matai title. Right. And Emma's the name that most people know her by. Gotcha. And how did you um, discover her story? Because you've worked on um, previous film like Waka Warriors. Um, mm-hmm. Did you discover her story through like other members, or was she like one that you focused on and you found out about um, what was going on in her life? Yeah, it's a great question because you know when you make documentaries, they're, they're often the ways in which people and subjects come to you is often quite mysterious. Mm. You know, I met her in Samoa um, a number of years ago, seven or eight years ago, through her aunt, Fui, who's this extraordinary elder and charging the um, organics movement in Samoa. And so I met her through her aunt because I was working on another project there at the time. And then I found myself getting drawn to the waka Mm. and worked on stories, worked in collaboration with some really extraordinary people in the voyaging community and our paths crossed Emma and myself and we became friends and we were friends first so that was kind of a that was kind of an interest sorry that's my dog in the background there (laughs) (laughs) don't worry we love the dogs here at Radio 1 (laughs) so yeah we we ended up um, becoming friends first and and then as we hung out together and we did some waka projects together she started telling me a bit about her life. Yeah. And, you know, like you do when you're working on projects together, you, you talk and chat and find out about each other. But what I started to see was that, you know, Emma's six foot six foot two. She can be a bit daunting when you first meet her. Yeah, you bet. She's, you know, she's a giant, a giant of a woman. And, you know, her voyaging brothers say that she's got the strength of three men. Yeah. And, um, you know, but she's really this incredibly thoughtful 
amazing wealth of knowledge kind of gentle woman but she had some incredible stories in here and I started to think gosh she's she's so in the background but really she's she's an so amazing key example I think of of leadership of um of uh yeah of history of whakapapa mm. and so yeah the story sort of unfolded from that yeah um and then also like this is a story, like you said earlier, like kind of about her final voyage, um, returning back to the motherland, her family land. Um, I just want to know, what was it like? Of course, you said that you're also friends with her, but like just being part in documenting these final moments and especially getting really involved with the family for this oh. return, because it's something that not many people can interact with. Yeah, it's such question. a yeah. It's such yeah, someone very key. interesting kind of to actually take some of those journeys back into history, into seeing the, I guess the 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 strengthening of identity, mm. because I think Emma was very in herself, in the sense that she knew who she was. Yeah. And so in taking her family very consciously back to Samoa, where they had, you know, had, her parents had moved in, in 1959. Uh, 50, mm. And so when you come to a new country, you, you know, you do a lot of adapting. And that word that we all struggle with now of assimilation, you know, and so much can be lost with the best of intentions, you know. So... Emma's task was to take them back and as a as a maker it was it was an extraordinary thing to experience the the sense of the family as they started to see Samoa through Emma's eyes and as they started mm. to see a woman who'd really built that bridge and that connection between Aotearoa and Samoa yeah and had done it very consciously and in taking them all back there together she was really doing a kind of... I'd say it was a handover, in a sense, but it was also building those ties so that they could never forget them. Yeah. And, you know, it was an extraordinary thing to be in that space with them um, because you're, you're seeing a story unfold in front of your eyes. Mm. And, you know, the, the film itself is very much um, in actuality. There's very limited number of interviews in it. The scenes unfold in front of your eyes. Mm. So we were very kind of present on the one hand, but also on the other hand had to kind of disappear as these scenes of family coming together, of people stepping onto islands they hadn't been to since they were children and in some cases cases had never been to. Mm. Um so yes, it was a it was a very moving experience as a filmmaker, and it was a real privilege to be part of that journey alongside the family. And you know, there's, you've got two hats on because, in one sense, you're kind of present and you're thinking about trying to capture the shots. Then another part of you going, "Oh, this is fantastic!" And you're like, "No, no, concentrate on the shots." Yeah, it's a very like very mixed thing where it's like you want to be like you said present, but you're also that fly on the walls. Like you want to go. Oh, I need to get something like this, maybe. But like, you also don't want to adjust yeah. anything. You want to let it actually. I don't want to say their story, like their actual lives. Yeah. Do the do what they have to do, not 
actually be involved with it. Absolutely. So, you know, as a maker, you're, you're, you're navigating that space as a director. Um, and and it, I, guess it, I guess it's sort of, I mean, it's a, it's a great question that you're asking in terms of, because you have to build quite a strong sense of trust. Mm. I think because there was a friendship there with Emma to start with, the trust was built before we started. And my brother um, was also a friend of Emma's yeah. and had a, a strong family connection through Emma's nephew, who my brother actually uh, was his um, teacher at university. Oh. So there was kind of a family-to-family family feel. Mm. And, um, and I think part of that really came across in the way in which we captured stuff and the feeling of intimacy. Certainly the, the pre-screenings that we've had and the test screenings, that's been the strongest feedback is that yeah. you feel as if you're inside that space with the family. You're stepping into a family's experience. Well, it definitely sounds like you all had that. It's almost like it is. it was like kind of meant to be. Mm. Like, it's one of those like very coincidental things. Like you said, your brother taught one of the nephews. And it's like, it just seems so integrated like regardless of being close it just seems like the pathways just crossed and was like the perfect timing for it all um and i just want to know as someone that has worked so closely with um looking at these traditional crafts and like returning back to homelands and all those things um i want to know what your take is on like the current state of like, as an outsider, I guess, as well, of, like, these traditional arts of, like, Maori carving and waka making becoming a lot more prominent in the mainstream with people like um, Brox, who is doing it, um, car- traditional carving on Twitch and stuff like that. What's yeah. your take on that? Well, I think, I think what I've come to see and experience is that when you step into a world like waka, mm. you're stepping into a philosophical space, and it's whole, and mm. it's integrated. And, you know, for me, it's been a really interesting journey because it's like layers of an onion, yeah. you know. And and I think it, there's so much depth. And so when you start to investigate those Spaces and you go into them, you can find not just the art form, um, but the philosophy that it's held mm. inside. And I think, um, and that's, you know, that sort of indigenous philosophical space is uh, incredibly inclusive. Yeah. Which I think is a really beautiful um, thing to think over. That you know, at the heart of the waka mm-hmm. is unity. You know, that is that is right at the heart of unity, of, of the waka. And I think that is a very powerful philosophy to step into and try and understand. So the waka, in some ways, are emblematic of much deeper thinking. You know, when I first started working with the waka, this wonderful celestial navigator from the Cook Islands called Tua Pitman, Hmm. He said to me, Anna, if you want to understand the Pacific, you have to understand the waka. And I was really curious about this. I was like, what? How, how will that 
pan out. Yeah. But it was kind of like he put the challenge down for me. And so I stepped into that and I feel like it's something, you know, it's a, it's a lifelong exploration. Um, in terms of other people um, sharing that, the whole philosophy in particular of waka is that you teach. Yeah. As soon as you learn, you teach. So when you step onto the waka, young people who are like 13, 14 are teaching me how to do things. Yeah. And they're teaching what they've learned. And that's the spirit of it. And, you know, there was a wonderful um, navigator called Mao Piailog, who is an acclaimed navigator. Um, he's passed, but he really trained a lot of this generation yeah. of our great navigators now. And he said, I'll teach you if you pass it on. And that's really at the heart of Emma's story. You know, she had some beautiful ideas around healing. Mm. And she could see that her, her extraordinary family, who are so courageous, she could actually engage in this pathway with them towards healing. And that she had some things that were about their history. She had some things that were about their philosophy, the way in which they could live that she could share with her family. At the same time, she had this amazing commitment to break silence and lift shame. So she not just took them, she didn't just take them on this voyage of healing where she, she, she really looked deeply into her own heart and what she needed to do to change. She also really opened that space for her family by looking to the light, yeah. those beautiful light things in life that can take you on that path. So yeah, very kind of um, a dimensional approach, I would say. Yeah, it's I've just, it's just one of the things that I've been like extremely curious about the past wee while. Like I haven't dove that deep into it because there's so much backstory to how everything has grown over the past millennia, mm. where it's like it's just such a deep concept where it's now especially internationally, it's getting a lot more recognition, which is I believe a fantastic thing that is happening but um regardless of that um your film is coming out we're gonna have to sadly cut everything off i wish to talk to you more but um do you know if it's getting a physical release here in Dunedin? absolutely you can come along and see the the film at the regent on the 2nd of um august at 4 p.m we have a screening in Dunedin. And um, we're also online from 8 p.m. There's a premiere online that night as well on the 2nd of August. And then until the 8th, you can watch it online on the NZIFF website. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you very much for giving the time of the, well, coming in, well, not even coming in, just talking to us today. I feel like I'm sitting there with you. It's been <laughs> wonderful to talk to you tonight. You too. Well, thank you very much and kakite. Kakite ano. That was Anna Mar, sorry, Anna Marbrook. Um, yeah, and if you guys want to get a hands on a couple of tickets, we do have a couple we're giving away. If you just want to text in to o two o two one two radio one, that's o two one two seven two three four six one for um, a couple of digital tickets for you to watch Lily Mata. So yeah, here is more. Thanks for listening to Radio 1 91 FM podcast. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz.